This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. I also would like to thank Southeast Lyman Training Center. It is a premier school for line worker training. SLTC produces an elite group of highly trained and certified graduates equipped with the knowledge, discipline, and ability to have successful careers in the electrical utility and communications industries. Learn more at lineworker.com. Hello and welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This has been created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Today, our special guest is Kurt Storing. He is a father to three boys, a husband of 10 years, and an entrepreneur. He's the founder of Dad Work, a community podcast and movement helping dads become better men, partners, and fathers with men's work, mindfulness, and relationships with other men. Welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am pumped to be here. Absolutely. Well, let's start off, Kurt, by you telling us a little bit about your childhood as you remember it, if you don't mind, brother. Of course. Yeah, my uh, parents divorced when I was three years old. And uh, that has, that just really colored my entire story growing up, to be honest. And I thought that, you know, I, I didn't really bother me. I just thought this is how things are. And, you know, sure enough, doing a lot of the deep work that I've done to sort of heal myself over the years, it's like, man, that really, really impacted me. So I spent a lot of time with my mom as a, you know, a three to probably eight year old boy and moved in with my dad after that. And I found out that the reason I moved in with my dad is because my mom had like a very serious eating disorder. And, you know, she weighed like 70 pounds and she went away to treatment and she, you know, frankly, almost died and was gone for a big chunk of my adolescence. And so my, my childhood in many ways was wonderful because my parents each loved me in their ways that they could, uh, and also full of, um, abandonment. I feel like, mm-hmm. and that's not to blame my parents. I have, you know, come to the understanding that everything that happened so far in my life is happening for me, not to me. And I have immense gratitude for the way that I was raised and just the love in my life. But man, it was, um, it was kind of lonely. It was kind of scary, not knowing like who was going to be there, if my mom was going to live. Like my dad had multiple wives going through a variety of relationships, so it was tumultuous. We we moved around a lot, and it was just kind of hard to get a grip on things. So I, you know, I I tried to make friends, I played sports and all that kind of stuff. But um, it was always that question in my head, like, what, what am I doing here? Like, do I, do I have a purpose? Like, how do I fit in? Am I good enough? Because Mm -hmm. yeah, nobody really sat me down and spoke into my life like that. And uh, it, it was great, played a lot of sports, but 
yeah, man, those are the things that come to mind right off the bat, at least just like not knowing what's going to happen because dad moved around and mom was sick. Hmm. And that just goes to show that, excuse me, the uh, stability of your household. Um, anytime a child, from what I've read and, and learned, anytime a child doesn't have that stability, they grow up unstable and unsure of themselves. And that sounds to me that that's some of the stuff you're dealing with in your early childhood. You know what I mean? hundred percent, man. And I think like, I talked to a lot of guys who are like, Oh, you have, you know, you think you were hurt in childhood. Do you think that has anything to do with how you act today? And it's like a hundred percent. Like mm-hmm. I, I really truly believe that every single person has perceived wounds or trauma, whatever you want to call it from the way they were, they were raised. And you have to like go into that work and heal from that. And it's not just like, you know, some people have it cause they were abused. It's like, I wasn't abused, but like I had neglect in my household. Mm. I had abandonment in my household and, and I got to deal with that. And so a hundred percent, like when I talk to dads, work with dads, I always go, you know, if you are considering breaking up the family or whatever, cause like you don't want to take responsibility first, why don't you show up a hundred percent in this relationship in this family? Cause a lot of guys I talk to, they're going like 50% and hoping that their wife and their kids will to make up the other 50%. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, when you talk about tumultuousness, man, like just you be the one as the dad to put your foot down and be like, I am here a hundred percent. And if things don't improve, then you make a choice. But so few men that I talked to have ever shown up a hundred percent fully and like played full out at home because mm-hmm. we're tired. We work a lot, all that kind of stuff. But until you've put in the work to go a hundred percent, then like, I think that's where it starts. That's where we have to start. So it's not so tumultuousness. It's so tumultuous. Like I experienced Hmm. Now you're talking a little bit about your, your, your mother and stuff like that. I wanted to touch base a little bit about, um, memories of your father. Um, what do you remember as far as like how he treated your mom and his interaction with your mother and, and stuff like that, that you could remember. And what did you take from that? Yeah, man. I loved my dad so much. He was Mm -hmm. such a good guy, such a funny guy. He always showed up for us um, physically and like sort of emotionally, I guess, as best as he could, Mm -hmm. but he was always at least physically there. And in terms of interacting with my mother, like, I don't remember what it was like when they were together. I never saw him together when I had like a, you know, a developed brain, I guess. So my memories aren't there. But when they did interact, I, I got this sense when they would like, you know, my mom would drop me off at my dad's house for our time with him. I mm-hmm. kind of got this sense that like he was just putting up with her and he had some resentment. And the thing that I learned much later is that like he was the one to leave. He had an affair and he like moved out. And I just had this like weird sense that it didn't feel right when they were together. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why. And so I don't know like what it was. He's passed away now. Um, so like, I can't ask him, unfortunately. But Um, yeah, the interactions were always strained. And one of the things that I picked up on that being married for so long now is that only recently have I learned how Mm. to treat a woman and how to like really openly love my wife, because I never got that from him, even with my stepmother. Like I had, I've had multiple stepmothers because he was married so many times. Um, it was very sort of closed off and very insular for himself, um, and, and that's, you know, I don't know what that affected or how that affected me, but the, mm-hmm. the memories for sure were so important when we were doing things together. 
Like we would play hockey together. We would like, he used to do a lot of work. He was a mechanic, uh, built a 67 Pontiac Parisienne by himself. Uh, he used to do like work on the basements in our houses. He built a lot of stuff. And anytime I got to spend with him doing that, like that was the best. And that's one of the things I'm taking with my kids. Like, I just want to do stuff with them. Right. Because that's when like, that's when you get the sense that my dad's there for me. And so like, as I got into my teenage years, I kind of lost that with him. But for sure, as a kid, man, I, I just knew he was there. And I think that did a lot of good for me, especially with like, you know, having divorced parents, not knowing what was going to happen. It was nice to just have him around. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you said that, like, you didn't know how to treat a woman until you got older, you know, um, did that affect like relationships and stuff like that later on, like in dating and, and stuff like that? I always find that interesting, you know? Oh, for sure, man. What, what I have come to believe is that mm -hmm. every relationship that I have entered into has been to fill a hole that wasn't a woman's to fill. And for me, um, there's, there's this book that I, I just finished reading mm -hmm. and it's called wild at heart by John Eldridge. Yes. Fantastic book, like just amazing book. And what he talks about is like a lot of guys will look for purpose or meaning mm -hmm. or the answer to the question, am I enough <clears throat> in a woman? And what I was doing is I was looking for that. And so I would push and I would be hard and I would be completely emotionally unavailable. And, you know, I would be looking for someone to take the role of like basically a mother or a father from my childhood to be bigger than me, to be stronger than me, to like even love me when I was being a real jerk. And, uh, you know, that pushed every single person away. <laughs> and so when, uh, when it came to, you know, meeting my wife, we each had a little, what I like to call our inner child, where mm -hmm. they were meeting each other and they sort of bonded, but it wasn't this like really, um, yeah, it wasn't this mindful connection. And so we had to learn over the last 10 years of marriage, what that looked like. And that took me doing the hard work to realize and face why I was so miserable. Cause man, I was angry. I was yelling. I was belittling. I was shaming my wife and mm. my kids for the first few years of fatherhood. And I had to come up, I had to face the fact that that was unacceptable and then realize why. And that's a, a very scary question. And I, I know this is not maybe the direction of the question, but what's coming to mind right now is mm -hmm. um, facing your demons like yes. this is so important. And a lot of guys are unwilling to go there because they think, well, emotions aren't manly. I was told boys don't cry, all this kind of stuff. Well, I was sitting with someone with a coach and I was like, man, I don't want to feel this. Like I, I, I'm judging myself for having the feelings that are coming up. And she said, is it really hard to sit with these feelings and like, just say that they exist? I was like, yeah, it's so hard. She's mm. like, does it feel like, you know, you're going to take a lot of courage to do it? And I was like, yeah, I'd have to have a lot of courage. And she goes, well, tough men do hard stuff. So what could be harder than sitting with these feelings? Mm -hmm. And that's what I think so many men need to hear is like, it's not weak to sit with these feelings. It's not weak to heal your inner wounds because we've all got them. And that's why I share about this kind of stuff. But man, I think it's like one of the manliest things to do to sit with that pain mm -hmm. because it takes toughness to do that. So that's just a little side note, I guess. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, that, that's what came up. No, no. And I can't agree with you more. Um, I always tell people that it takes a tough man to admit he's wrong. Um, especially like in the industry that I work in, you know, which being journeyman linemen or tradesmen and stuff like that. Um, it takes a big man to admit he's wrong. And 
I, like you, you know, treated my family horribly. I mean, I was dealing with the inner trauma that was caused to me as a young child as well. Um, One of the things that I wanted to add to what you said is I think sometimes not only are we conditioned as, as, as men to not cry or not to share emotions, I think a lot of times, especially for me, it's the pain that's associated. Sometimes the pain is so great, you don't want to face it. And for me, pain made anger. I don't like feeling pain. I don't like being afraid. I was taught um, at, a, at a young age, you don't, you don't be afraid. You know, um, if someone steals your bike, you punch him right in the nose. You know what I mean? I, I grew up, that's the way I grew up. You know what I mean? You, someone stole your lunch money. Guess what? You punched them in the nose, you know, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's the way I grew up. So anytime I felt or came up to a hurdle where I was afraid, where I felt pain, I confronted it with violence, with anger, you know, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of men do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I definitely did. And, and that's a funny thing is we're told not to feel. And so when we do feel, it's like, oh, there's shame now. Mm-hmm. Like, I shouldn't be feeling this. And I just got to say, anyone who's listening, like you are a human being. If you're a human being, which, you know, check, have a look, feel yourself. Yeah, you're human. You got feelings, man. Like there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. And you might be really good at repressing them. But like what, like what you said, if you're afraid, it's not don't be afraid. It's show courage in the mm-hmm. face of fear. And that's what it means to be a man. It's not not feeling like you're not a rock. You can be a rock to other people in a very you know stormy time. That's fine. But you yourself are human and you feel. And so, yeah, when you are feeling these things and when you're feeling the pain, first, you have to be able to like feel that without having a, a snap, like you and I seem to both have had problems with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I found tools to stay calm in the moment, whether that was like breathing or like meditating or something like that, that stuff worked. And then I had to go really deep and I had to ask myself, why, 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 why am I doing this? And, and I got to the answer and then it was hard and it sucked. But when I developed a resiliency to sit with pain, like you said, it sucks, but the more you can do it, the better you'll be able to heal and the better you'll be able to show up as a man and a husband and a father. And so, yeah, like it, it hurts. And I hundred mm-hmm. percent empathize because I have felt that and I've gone through that. And the message that I like to share is just one of hope. Cause like I went so far in my journey as to feel as though my kids would mm-hmm. be better off without me. And I knew the stats. I knew how bad it was for a child to grow up in a fatherless home. And I still believed in my heart that I was worse for them showing up the way I was showing up. And so like, if that's what I believed and, and you know, my answer to that wasn't running away, I couldn't live with myself. My answer to that was, you know, I, I hate to say it, but my answer to that was maybe death. And I have recovered from that. Like I have got to the other side through the very painful things. And so when I share that, I just want other guys to know that whatever you're going through, man, like it is possible to come out the other side and fix this and figure this out. So I just want to yeah, keep reiterating that message of hope. No, and it definitely is a message that fathers need to hear today because I don't know how many countless fathers I've, I've talked to where they all say the same thing, which is, man, yeah, I'd be better if I just leave. I know I thought that, you know, several times. Um, I wanted to ask you, 
what do you think the state of fatherhood is today? Like, do you think it's getting worse or better? Or what do you think? Man, that I, I will leave other people to find the statistics and that kind of stuff. But just from a sense, just from mm-hmm. working with dads, it's twofold. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, you have guys who are listening to your show. You've got guys who are joining my communities. You've got guys like are in my men's group, my weekly local men's groups, and they are doing the work to do exactly what we've been talking about, to heal, to grow, to do what it takes to actually show up in a way that not only will make their family's lives better, but will that make their lives better. And I'm seeing more and more of that. So like on the one hand, I'm very uh, optimistic and I'm a generally optimistic person. But on the other hand, like you can't deny that the culture we live in is getting people more and more addicted to their phones, more and more addicted to fear and news cycles, Mm. and uh, more and more distracted from being a dad. And a lot of guys I talk to are like, oh, how do I find the balance? How do I do this? How do I do that? And it's like, look, the balance wouldn't be so hard if you focused on one thing at a time. And what I mean by that is the distractions I just mentioned, news, social media, phone, whatever it is, When we're on our phones, for example, and this is something I've dealt with recently, we're Mm -hmm. clearly not paying full attention to our kids. And so if we sit on our phone for an hour or two after work, we're just sort of scrolling, our kid wants her attention, and we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching, but you're not watching. You know, you might be spending an hour with your kid, but giving them 25% of your attention. Well, what if we as fathers just gave them like 100% attention for 10 minutes? Like, first of all, 10 minutes is way easier on our schedule and it's actually what our kids need. And so like, yeah, this, this is the other part of it, man, is that we're, it's, it's so hard to escape this vortex of the culture and to like, just put the phone down and breathe and like reconnect with the real world. Cause like Facebook's not the real world, man. All this stuff on the phone's not the real world. Your kids in front of you are the real world. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of the, the, worry that I have is that as we get more and more polarized, as we get more and more addicted to this kind of stuff, we're just going to stop showing up. And then where do our kids go? Well, they go right into the, you know, the online universe, just like we are. And then, you know, we kind of lose touch with them and that is tragic. Mm -hmm. So part of this for me lately has just been like, I've reduced my phone time by half over the last couple of months, which has gone a really long way. And um, I'm just hoping that with guys like you and guys like me, that we can get the word out in time to really change fatherhood, mm-hmm. to get guys to step up. Because like my, my sort of mission here is I see a lot wrong in the world. I see victim culture. I see wokeness. I see like disconnect from our natural environment. I see like all this kind of stuff going wrong, divisiveness. And I think if we healed enough fathers, we could heal all that stuff in the world. And the reason that I think that is because when you heal a father, he doesn't pass on to his kids the wounds and the traumas and the pains that he feels. He becomes a chain breaker, Mm. a generational trauma chain breaker. And if those kids grow up with secure attachment, a loving father, a father who's there, then they're not going to pass on the things that we had to their kids. So one or two generations from now, we've got communities being built by kids and grandkids of fathers who stopped the cycle Mm. and stopped the pain at the source. And I think, you know, 20, 40 years from now, the communities, if the majority of communities were made up by kids and grandkids of men like us who have done the work, I think the world's a much, much better place. Mm. So that's where I want the state of fatherhood to go. And I'm just, you know, Mm. doing what I can, working what I can work to, uh, to get it there. 
And Kurt, I couldn't agree with you more. That's one of the reasons why I asked you to come on this podcast is because we're, we're so like-minded in, in that sense. Um, a lot of times I have a lot of, uh, big time CEOs and of companies and major utilities and stuff like that. Ask me, Dave, Dave, how do we change the culture? You know, our safety culture, all this different stuff. Right. And I always tell them the same thing. We need to change the culture at home. You know, they have the tendency of want to throw money at everything, right? Let's throw money. Let's throw more safety, more covering, more, all this stuff. Right now that doesn't do anything. We have more accidents in the past 20 years than we've ever had before. Okay. And in, in, in the electrical industry. Okay. So I look at it like you, let's go back to the home and I liken it and just bear with me. Okay. I liken this whole thing and the way I tie it back is okay. What is being taught at the home? You know, when you're teaching your kid, it's okay to take shortcuts. When you are modeling that to your children, that it's okay not to put in the work that it's okay to cheat, that it's okay not to show up and give eight hours of work. What do you think is going to happen when they start mimicking that in their life and then they start showing that to their children and then all of a sudden we're in a society where we're at today. It Where we got today didn't just happen yesterday. It's slow burn over time, over time, slow compromises over time. And like you said, when we start getting together as fathers and showing the correct ways and not compromising on our morals and our beliefs, on our standards, not tomorrow, but the future generations will eventually change again. It's going to yes. take time. We didn't get here oh, last night. Just And it's the same thing. I mean, let's, let's look at it. Let's even dissect it even further. I talk to a lot of fathers who, who have gotten divorced, right? And they're like, I don't know. It just thought she hit me out of the blue. You know, she wants a divorce, yada, yada. And it's like, dude, it didn't happen overnight. Exactly. It did not happen overnight. You just missed the warning signals. You know, it, it, it's crazy. I, I think, um, and just to tie that into marriage, you know, I think a lot of time we settle for closeness instead of intimacy. You know, we settle for that safe yeah. and comfortable rather than living in an adventure of discovery and honesty. You know what I mean? The problem with the intimacy is that it almost always creates this short term instability, right? It, it, it's contrary to many people's understanding. And it's not just about sex. People think that intimacy is about sex. It's not. When I think about the word intimacy, even with our children's intimacy, I look at it in the acronym see. Mm, yes. You know, you're being completely transparent. And when we're being completely transparent with our spouse, when we're being completely transparent with our children, they're able to see you as a human being and see mm. that, hey, you make mistakes. And guess what? It's okay to make mistakes, but own on to them. I think that's what's being lost today. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah man, I'm 100% on board. Absolutely. Like it does start at home. And this is, it, I mean, it's hard when they spend so long in school every day, unless you homeschool them. Um, but it does start like where they spend their time. And thankfully, they're watching you closer than they're watching their teachers. Mm -hmm. And that's also 
uh, a curse in some ways because if you are not showing up mindfully intentionally then what are they picking up from you like my youngest is so much different than my two older ones because we were in a different place like the first two younger ones or older ones we were still struggling and you know they picked up some bad habits that we're still dealing with today and the younger one man like when we are regulating our nervous system, when we're like angry, for example, one of the best mm -hmm. things you can do is just take a deep breath. And this goes for like anyone in the world. If you take a deep one or three breaths, it just does something, it calms you down. And so like, I do that regularly because I still get angry. So mm -hmm. I'll take a breath and my one-year-old, like I now see him, he'll go, ah, and he'll have this big breath. I'm like, man, they watch. And the same thing on the other end, like if you mess up and you, you know, say a word you shouldn't say at home and, you know, and then your kid's repeating and it's like, oh man, if you can't see that they are watching you every step of the way, then yeah, you're missing the signs, man. And uh, there's just like this mimicking behavior mm -hmm. that they, they do what you do, not what you say. And I know that's like a cliche, do as I say, not as I do. You know, you hear that all the time, but kids will just do what you do. And just think about your own life. Like how many of the things, if you think about it, do you do because your dad did it or because the other man in your life growing up did it? Like, are you really consciously aware of like all your habits and the things that you do on a daily basis? Or did you just learn them along the way? And so like, that's the depth. Mm -hmm. You just take a second to think about that. That's the depth to which we as humans watch our parents. So yeah, it has a huge responsibility for the men who are fathers, but also a great lesson and an opportunity because just like you said, you teach them to take responsibility for mistakes. You teach them to be kind and thoughtful. You teach them to work hard. You teach them that like the job is not done until it's done right. You know, mm -hmm. like we do that all the time in my house. Like if the kids do like something halfway and go like, oh, well, I'm kind of done. It's like, no, you're not done. Unless that is done right the first way, you're gonna have to do it the second time and the third time until it's right because excellence is a virtue here. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, man, like it 100% starts at the home in all cases. Mm -hmm. Now that leads us into this transition of topic, um, teaching our children how to be accepting of difference of opinions, okay? And this was a question that was asked to me by a longtime listener. And uh, I wanted to ask you, do you feel like young adults and kids' opinions are fostered at the home? And do you feel that acceptance actually starts at the home? Oh, absolutely, man. If there's like a people who are intolerant of other people's opinions, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a problem. And like, it's so easy because we are tribal people as humans, like we go to the tribe that keeps us safe and that we relate to and that we sort of get identity from. And it feels good to be part of that. And it feels bad to not be part of that or to have people who are against that. And I see that happening today a lot. Like you're either on one side of the debate that's going on in the world or you're on the other. And it, there's like no sympathy. There's no empathy. There's no understanding. There's no like, oh, I see that you're scared. Like the reason that you want me to do this in my body is because like you're fearful. That's okay. Okay. I get that. And look, the reason I'm so hardcore against it, because I'm fearful of what will happen to me and there's no coming together. So in our home, I always make sure to have full conversations with the facts and things that I am talking about. And obviously I'm going to be biased. Like I'm not going to get this right all the time, mm -hmm. but when I hear my kids repeat something like, for example, um, 
my I, I'm very much into freedom. I don't like government telling me what to do. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but like I say that I want to be in charge and government can sort of get out of my life when uh, I don't need them. And I hear my son saying like, oh, I hate the government. And I'm like, wait a second, kid. Like, do you know why you're saying that? And here, this goes back to our last conversation point mm-hmm. is they're listening. And so I have to stop and go, wow, what am I saying? And what do I mean when I say that? And so we talk about what it means for me to believe that. We talk about the other side and why he should have his own opinions about that and what it means to have opinions and that we we should not derive our identity from our ideas. And this is something that I think I've heard a couple of times now in other podcasts is like, if your identity comes from your opinions, like you're going to have a, you're going to have a real hard time. Mm -hmm. If your identity doesn't come from you knowing that you are a good person and you deserve a good life and, you know, you have, you know, relationship to whatever in this world that just makes you a good worthwhile human being, Mm -hmm. then you're going to get thrown off and angered and upset and your life is going to be dictated by other people. And so I try to teach them as much as possible that like Mm -hmm. opinions are just that they're not fact, they don't make you a good or bad person. And so yeah, of course, we have to accept my opinions, because especially if I'm informed on them, you Mm -hmm. know, I I feel that way based on my history. And the same with you kids, you know, you feel this way. And, and someone might disagree. And someone might be mean, and someone might be, you know, really rude about their opinions. And you know, that sort of behavior is not acceptable. But the opinions behind that doesn't vilify them. It's what they do with those opinions. And again, man, like, like you're saying all along, it 100% starts at home. And if I'm trashing people who I don't agree with, Mm -hmm. and if I'm like judging and gossiping, then the kids are just going to pick that up and they're going to carry the baton of divisiveness further and further. So you got to stop that in the home for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think this saying swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, do you think this could be applied in this uh, situation with uh, difference of opinions? Oh, for sure. Um, what, this is so important in terms of like just mindfulness. So what I like to do is mm-hmm. I say that like self-awareness is probably the most important thing that I look for in other people. Just like knowing who you are, what you feel, how you feel in your body. Um, Like I love meditation. I love breathing, um, just doing stuff outside to get me feeling everything that I can feel with this human body. And what that does for me is it helps me slow down and not be reactionary. Mm -hmm. And there's a saying that, um, you know, between, um, between a stimulus and a response, there's a space. And what we want to do is we want to find that space because for so many men that I see, and including myself, there's what happens. And then there's your like rage response. It's just a reaction. It's not a thoughtful action. It's a reaction. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like we ought slow down. I guess that's sort of the, the moral here is slow down, notice more, and then make a conscious reaction. So yeah, you obviously take in the information, be open. You've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Uh, Mm. And then make sure that you are responding in a way that sort of hits all of your values and that is respectful and that understands that, you know, opinions are only that. And just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you need to come down on them. Doesn't mean you need to vilify them and like fight them because we're all humans. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, you're all your neighbors, you you're American or you're Canadian or whatever you are, you're supposed to be neighbors. Um, And so, yeah, if, if you just like increase your listening quotient 
and decrease your reactionary response, mm-hmm. I think that serves pretty much everyone. I, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I like what you said about having uh, two years and one mouth for one, for a reason. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I think that's um, simple, but to the point, you know, um, one of the things that I, I've learned to teach my children at our home is that they need to know their identity. And as part of us being fathers, our job is to help them to find that identity. Um, if they don't know who they are, like you said, then they're going to go with whoever has the greatest idea. And you hit the nail right on the head when you talked about uh, the, the grouping. Um, I call it pack mentality, where someone will go with whatever someone's saying because why they're drawn to that pack. You know what I mean? They don't want to be ousted or, or called out. And I think that's just uh, human nature to do that. You know, um, I try to teach my children to stand out. Don't go with the norm. You know what I mean? Question everything. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that's, that's a, a positive trait, especially today, you know, with the, the media and everything we're listening to, you know, you can't really believe everything you hear, you know, and uh, I want them to make conscious uh, decisions based on what they see. You know what I mean? If if someone is treating them well, whether they differ in opinion or not, then the golden rule applies. You know what I mean? Treat others how you want to be treated. If that person's being kind to you, if that person's being generous to you, if that person's not a threat to you, you know what I mean? Don't, don't go with the norm just because that person has pink hair um, or, or has a different, uh, uh, a gender, you know, uh, preference or whatever, you know what I mean? If they're kind, be kind, you know? And I think like you talked about that empathy, you know, empathy to me is putting yourself in someone else's shoes. I think if we do that more, we'll be able to see that person as a human being. Right now, more than ever, I think people have lost touch and, and the, the love of many has, has grown cold. I mean, we live in a very, very cold generation where we're aborting children in a, in a national rate, you know what I mean? Um, yep. Where uh, uh, parents are, are, or children are killing their own parents, you know what I mean? Where children are being taught that the police are horrible people. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. Up, The world's upside down and it's nuts. You know what I mean? And I think it's because of that loss of empathy. We started not seeing people as human beings. You know, that's, that's exactly it, man. And the thing that's coming to mind here, like that goes through all of this conversation is just look at yourself in the mirror. Like if you're asking these questions, how can we be more accepting? Like, what are you doing to be accepting? Because Mm -hmm. your kids are watching, you're the, you know, the leader of your home. What are you doing? You are fully responsible for everything that's going on in your life. And you might not be able to control the external factors, but everything that you want to change that can be changed, like this is up to you. So like, I think the thread of this whole conversation is just like, look -hmm. look at yourself in the mirror, dads. You got to start doing the stuff that you want to see. And whether it's, you know, your kids want to work harder, whether it's your kids accepting people of different opinions, like, how are you doing that? In fact, one of the things I ask my kids when they, uh, you know, do something that I don't like, or when I think needs to be reprimanded in some way, I say, where did, when did you see me do that? Because mm-hmm. I know that they are probably repeating something that I did at one point, And I want to know, like, where did I screw up? Where did you see me do that? And if they can't answer, it's like, oh, 
okay, well then why are you doing it? Because if I wouldn't do this, then I think you know, because I know you watch me, that you ought not do that. And, and so, yeah, if we can just like look mm. at ourselves in the mirror and start being, and I know, like, I, I don't like, <laughs> I think this is completely overused phrase, but th- this uh, conversation more than ever, like be the change you want to see, man. Mm-hmm. Like it starts with you and it always starts with you. There is no one else who's going to take responsibility for your life. And so like all this stuff in your life that has happened to you, that's not your fault. Like, you know, it's not your fault. Your dad drank or, you know, hit you or whatever. Like you got wounds about that. And it's still a hundred percent your responsibility to do anything about that. And mm-hmm. the same comes with however you want your kids to show up. So you want them to be, accept people better then start accepting people better yourself and show them what that looks like. Mm. And start accepting yourself. Ooh. Oh man. Yeah. You just touched on something real, real raw there. Mm. That is like the lack of self-love, the mm-hmm. lack of self-worth that most men are carrying around right now and thinking that that's what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't deserve love or like, oh, I'm a, I'm the dad. So I just need to like work harder and provide. And as long as I provide, my kids will be good. But like, I really hate myself. Like, holy smokes, you need to go through and do the work in my opinion and just in my experience to come to a grips with the fact that, like I just said, it's not your fault. Like mm-hmm. all the stuff you feel shame about, that ain't your fault, man. Like you did the best you were doing in all those situations. And especially when you're a kid and coming out of like childhood to teenage, to early adulthood, still like, yes, you ought to be held accountable for those things that you did, but it's your, it's not your fault that you were like, you know, got the short straw in a couple areas of your life and a hundred percent your responsibility. And what that can do is give you the license to feel as though you belong, mm. to feel that like you have what it takes. And again, bring up that book by John Eldridge. Most men are questioning, like, I don't accept myself because I never heard from a dad or another man that I had what it takes. And therefore I don't feel like a real man. We almost need like rights of passage Passage. and initiation brought back in. And I've talked to guys on my podcast about how to do this. And I've Mm -hmm. heard like just beautiful stories of men bringing their teenage boys through rites of passage so that they don't have Mm -hmm. this lack of acceptance in themselves to own who they are and what the space they take up in the world. And yeah, if you're feeling that way, if you don't accept yourself right now and think that like you got to be shameful or guilty, there is work to be done. Like it's not Mm -hmm. weak to go see someone, like get some help, get a counselor, go see a therapist, join a men's group. Like if you want to do the work like this and not go like the traditional route of getting help, go join a men's group or something. Just like start telling your story, feel what it feels like to be seen, heard, supported, and challenged by other men. That can start all of this work for you. So man, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is the very basis of all of this is self-acceptance. No, I I agree a hundred percent. I like that you talked about rite of passage. Um, One of the rite of passage that I could remember that my father brought me and my younger brother through was when we killed the deer, we would cut out its heart and we would take a bite out of it. And then he would rub the blood on our face. You know what I mean? Just kind of like messing around with us. You know what I mean? But that was our rite of passage to us. That was, man, we're men, man. We, we just, we just were able to provide, you know what I mean? (laughs) You know? And, um, I, I thought that was really cool. You know, I mean, there's certain things that he did, you know, um, whether it be following a big tree or, or catching a fish and being able to, to gut it. You know what I mean? These were little things that we learned as boys, you know what I mean? Uh, growing up pretty rambunctious, but as I think about it now, those were all rites of passage, you know? 
yeah, it gave you the confidence and it mm-hmm. gave you the knowledge that like you had a spot in the world because you could do stuff. And that's one of the things that I am seeing missing so much. Like my kids right now are so obsessed with like mm. hunting and fishing and wanting to learn this and wanting to learn that. And I'm going like, okay, I was never taught a lot of these things. Like I got some basic camping skills, but man, like, I don't know if I could survive for very long because mm. I just never been taught. And so this year, in 2022, like I'm going hard with all this kind of stuff. Like I'm going to learn how to hunt. I'm going to learn how to fish. I'm going to learn how to do all this kind of outdoor stuff because my kids are so obsessed and I've got this window now to teach them how to have skills. Mm-hmm. And I talked about this on, I think it was Instagram or my podcast recently. It was like, we got to be teaching tools and skills, not comfort. Because mm-hmm. if you have tools to deal with stuff, you'll always be prepared. It's like teaching men to fish rather than giving them a fish. And if you have um, skills, then like, you know, the world could go any way that, you know, you could possibly conceive and you would be okay. And even if we lived in the most peaceful, harmonious world with like years of golden year age, like a ton of golden age ahead of us, Mm -hmm. still knowing that you have skills allows a boy and a man to feel like, yeah, I got what it takes. I can survive no matter what. Like I am confident in myself. I know what it feels like to be able to perform and provide. And there's something about that sense. Even Mm -hmm. if you never have to use it to like survive in the woods or whatever, there's something about that sense that, you know, you got talking about your own initiation. That's just like, yeah, I got this. I can do this. And now I can provide. I'm a man. So just personally speaking, that's where I'm going to be diving in a lot, uh, especially with my nine-year-old as he gets into, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, he's going to need all that stuff. He's going to be needed to challenge and like find his own place in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think all that kind of outdoor uh, providing, that's like a fantastic gateway. So I'm going all in on the next year doing that stuff. Yeah, that's going to be so cool. I, I'm excited for you and your son. Um, yeah. I think that's that's something that every father needs to pass to his son, you know, and I, I know you're going to have an awesome time. Um, you You touched a little bit about how acceptance right now do you feel that like young adults and children that that's one of the things that they're susceptible today is not really having that acceptance of themselves do you think that's one of the major issues that they're facing today yes a hundred percent and i mm-hmm. i thought about this um if we instill this like sense of self-acceptance in our kids mm-hmm. by loving them unconditionally not shaming them mm-hmm. and just showing up with like a secure attachment and there's a guy called uh, dr dan siegel who has a book called the power of showing up he talks about what it takes to get this secure attachment which is like one of the best things we can do for our kids mm-hmm. if the kid doesn't have that and from the start believes that he is not good enough that his dad like you know, something must be wrong with the kid for his dad not to be fully present in his life. That's what we think when we're kids. Mm-hmm. Like it's, we're so self-centered because, you know, the brain hasn't developed that a child thinks, well, something must be wrong with me. Anything bad that happens to them, they'll typically blame themselves. Yes. And so if we screw up and, you know, if you do screw up, well, guess what? You can repair. It's able to be done, apologize, repair, whatever you need to do. It's okay. You don't have to feel guilty. But if that's the lesson in the story our kids get, then like, it's no wonder that they seek acceptance elsewhere in a group. Like we were just talking about in video games, like somewhere outside of the real world in, Mm -hmm. you know, gangs, potentially in bad neighborhoods. Um, Like if the kids don't have that, 
of course, yeah, they're susceptible to feeling like they don't have any worth because of the way that we treat them. And we can't control their emotions. We can't control what else happens to them. But at the very least, we can show up and love them to death. Like we can just show up and let them see that we get them and not just like, hey, how was your day? ask better questions, like Mm -hmm. make sure that they know that not only do you see them physically, but you see into their souls, you see their hearts, you open your heart to them. And otherwise, like you just said, man, you're, it's so easy in this day and age to become susceptible to that lack of self acceptance. Um, and I think they're susceptible to a lot today, just because we don't spend as much time together. Like the kids not working in the field with the parents anymore. Their Mm -hmm. dad's away. Mom's usually away. Kids are at school. And then like, we're so tired. It's hard to connect. And so you have to like make the time you have to force yourself to go above and beyond. And like, yes, this is hard. There's more pain involved perhaps. And the reward of not having your kid feel lack of self-acceptance is enormous. Like, can you, how gutting is it to imagine your son or your daughter walking around with that like emptiness that you Mm. might feel yourself when you don't feel like you're worth anything? Like that is just, that is a motivator to me. Like Mm. I'm doing all this. I started my entire journey because I didn't want to screw up my kids and I was doing a terrible, terrible job. And Mm. that motivated me to do all of this work. And it changed my life, man. Like it truly hundred percent changed my life all because I was motivated enough by not wanting to screw up my kids. So I think dad's out there, like we can do it, man. We can totally do this. We've got it. And we just have to get a little bit more uncomfortable and work through our own stuff. Mm-hmm. No, and I agree with you. And it takes hard work. You know what I mean? I, I try to tell fathers, hey, you know, being a better dad is possible, but it's going to take the work being put in. Um, I've been on the other side where I've actually, I, the way I look at it is, it's like having an air hose to your child, right? And uh, for my daughter, who's my teenage daughter, every time I would crush her with my words by being overcritical with her or whatever, you know, it was like I was putting a third stage knot in her air hose and just closing off her air. And I would see her wilt. And like you said, I mean, just seeing that crushed me and forced me to want to be a better father, you know? And um, it, it was, it was, it, it takes work. It does. It, it takes conscious work. I mean, but there is things that you can do. I mean, one of the things we like to do is a dinner talk table. You know, we get around the table just like I did growing up and we talk, I mean, whether it be yelling, screaming, whatever, we're having conversations, we're playing games, but we're engaged. We're sitting at that table, no devices, and we're having that engagement that we need as a family. You know what I mean? So good. I wanted to ask you, um, what is one of the best ways we can teach our children to be individuals without infringing on others' individuality? Oh yeah. This is like, Sorry, go ahead. Do you have anything more? No, no. I, I just think it's it's such a great question. I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you think? Yeah, yeah no, it is an excellent question. And uh, this is like, so it might be easier for me than it is for some because my core value is individuality with the caveat that you mustn't infringe on others. And this goes for freedom, for individuality, for anything. Like, let me be free to take risks and do with my life what I feel is best as long as I'm not infringing on others. So that 
just gets like molded through the way that I interact with the world, that I talk to my kids. And the same thing that you just said, we have dinner table talks. We have very intentional conversations. Like we don't hide things from the kids. And so like, it, it, yeah, for me, it just comes down to like doing what I say I believe and mm. being myself and making sure that the kids know, like, for example, one of them is quite, can be overbearing because like he takes up a lot of space. He's really, really good at talking, uh, great at question asking, great, like very curious. And sometimes that can like overwhelm his younger brother. And so we talk about that. And maybe this is sort of like a, an overarching lesson is like, don't be afraid to just talk very clearly without punishment necessarily but with like the consequences child of your actions like here's how you're making your brother feel and his brother might tell him and here's what that feels like so what do you think you would feel like if this happened to you and often turning it around like that is mm -hmm. a way to be like oh well you know i, I think i feel frustrated uh, you know, I, I feel like I wouldn't have any space. I probably feel disrespected. It's like, yeah, exactly. So I want you to be curious. I want you to be like talkative. It's going to be a huge gift for you later on. Like whatever you choose to do, talking is probably going to be a big part of it. And like, you got to understand, man, like the world is not just you. And as much as his little brain, like I just mentioned, can only really understand the world from his perspective, you have to start early with mm -hmm. making sure that like, yes, you love them for who they are. And like, they're not going to be able to take any love or attention away from anyone else because their individuality cuts off at their own personal boundaries. So we talk a lot about boundaries and maybe that's another discussion for another time. Like mm -hmm. you have to know how to set boundaries. And as a father and a parent, that's one of the greatest things you can do is like know yes. when it feels bad and know how to say no. And not like when it's too much to handle when you start screaming at them, but like, Hey, you are like kicking me with your little leg fidget right now. I don't like to be kicked and it's making me annoyed. I'm going to let, I'm going to make you stop that. And if you can't, you're going to move over there. Like boundaries as simple as that teaching mm -hmm. your kids how to do that gives them guardrails to be individuals while knowing that they just can't steamroller people and become codependent and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So I think boundaries actually are like the top level discussion here in terms of being individual while not infringing on anyone else. Dude, and I can't agree with you more. Uh, boundaries are one of the number one things that I'm seeing, uh, especially with a teenage daughter, um, being able to have her create healthy boundaries. Um, how many times, I mean, we think of it like, you know, in its simplest form, okay, you know, don't kick me, tell them it doesn't feel good, whatever, you know what I mean? But the way that progresses into teenage and young adult ages for a, a, a woman, is that they're able to say no. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times, no matter what we say, we could teach our daughters till we're blue in the face. You know, no means no. But there's people out there who believe that no means yes. And sometimes there's guys out there who, and I've heard this from other women, just because they didn't verbalize no, didn't mean that they wanted it. You know what I mean? So we got to, as fathers, as fathers, we need to teach our daughters to be able to say no. If something doesn't feel right, sound right, anything right, you need to be able to say no. And if that fool doesn't want to stop, then you throw check him and call daddy. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm dead serious. You know what I mean? Because there's too many predators out there 
who think it's okay, who think that just because they didn't say no gives them the right. You know what I'm saying? So we need yeah. to teach our daughters and we need to teach our sons, man. Seriously. Yeah, it's, well, it's the flip side, right? It's like the flip you, you side, have to yeah. teach your daughters and then you got to teach your sons that of course, like boundaries are real. Cause yeah. if you let your kids walk all over, if you only wait until the very end to blow up, mm-hmm. they don't know boundaries. And so when someone says no to them, they're going to be like, well, no, I'll just, I'll just keep pushing. Cause like, I know my dad or my mom doesn't mm-hmm. say no. It doesn't actually do it. It doesn't actually stop me when they say no. It, like, it's just a suggestion. So yeah, like you teach your daughter, like you just said, and, you know, teach her to defend, to defend herself. And unfortunately that's, you know, the reality of the mm-hmm. modern age, but also like, you got to teach your sons that no means no. And this is a boundary by setting them yourself. Exactly. Um, the last question I have for you, brother is, uh, how would you coach fathers to teach your children, like children, critical thinking? So you don't offend them to them to uh, subjugate their own values, I guess. Mm, Yeah. This is another thing that we, we talk about regularly. And I think with all this stuff, man, it's like consistency and it's like mindful awareness. So if you're just reacting to everything, if you can't stop to just like breathe for five minutes, feel into your body, like notice how you're feeling and, you know, a lot of guys are hesitant to meditate and I got to say it's changed my life. So like, I'll just throw it out there. If you want to learn more then learn more, but if you're able to go through and like everything you're doing, be very intentional, mm-hmm. uh, that's probably the best way is just like, continue to have these conversations and much like anything important in, you know, what we're trying to parent our kids. Mm-hmm. If you can continue to have the conversations, not once, but multiple times as they grow touch on like different points, different vantage points. So like maybe when they're young, you say this, maybe when they're older, you say this, but it's this constant conversation. That's sort of the first and underlying step. Mm -hmm. Everything else for me comes down to curiosity and questioning and just being not so trusting. So my basic assumption, I don't know if anyone listening has ever watched X-Files, but Mulder always says, trust no one. And I don't go that far, but I do go that far when it comes to like so-called authority. I never use the appeal to authority argument. And that's what I try and teach my kids as well. Just because so-and-so saying it doesn't mean it's true. So then, okay, how do we find out what's true? Okay, well, here's how we check. Here are the ways that we can maybe verify that this is a more trusted source. They have said things in the past that are, you know, have proven to be accurate. They have not said things in the past that are not true. And so just like basically going through and not all at once, I'm not sitting them down giving them like a university lecture, but -hmm. just like exactly what you said about sitting around at the table with your kids. We talk about this stuff, especially with everything going around today. Like I don't just sit down and complain about what's happening because I don't love it. But Mm -hmm. like my wife and I will talk about, well, I heard this, I checked into it. The person who I thought was on our side is actually spreading false information and that's not very good. So here's how I found that out. And it's just like, just question everything. And not to the sense where like, you can never trust anyone. That's a very important balance and nuance point, but question everything from a place of curiosity, Mm. not like, Oh, I bet you're wrong. But like, I wonder if that's right. Like, huh, that's interesting. What does that look like? And just to never lose that. Cause I mean, it's one of the first things that we lose from childhood is this curiosity. Like my kids want to know why every single time, right? Like it's a classic mm-hmm. dad thing. Why, 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 why? <laughs> and like, try to teach them never to lose that. Like I, I actually affirm my kids when they ask questions like that, because again, what we can do as dads is give them the positive feedback loop. So when they ask good questions, I'm like, 
wow, that was a very thoughtful question. Like that's the kind of curiosity that's going to get you places. So I really make sure to teach them that as well. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, there's one thing to be demanding of our own values and their values. But at the end of the day, we got to surrender to the fact that we are not our children and they are not us. We do not have to derive value from what they do. And that I think is maybe the, the piece just not offending them or feeling offended yourself if your kids don't share your values. Like if you allow them to critical think and you teach them about this, chances are they're going to come to a different conclusion than you have because mm -hmm. they've had different experiences and they're a different person. So you just have to like go into that knowing that and then continue to have the respectful conversations it takes to have dialogue on this rather than going to like anger or shaming or whatever. Mm, and I like what you said, respect. Um, that's one of the number one things that especially with little boys, you know what I mean? When you're having these conversations with little boys, you know, obviously, you know, there's a book out there called Emerson Egerick's uh, Love and Respect. Okay, women's deep, deepest need is love. A man's deepest need is respect. So keep in mind when we're dealing with our sons is to show them that level of respect as well. You know, don't degrade them. Don't tell them, oh, you're an idiot. Why did you think like that? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that's, 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 that's super important. Um, Kurt, we're running out of time here, brother. Uh, I just want to ask you, how can you share with our audience how to get a hold of you? You got some great knowledge and wisdom, brother. And I just want to give you this time to go ahead and tell our audience. If you don't mind. Yeah. Thank you, man. And honestly, like big kudos to you for having the show. It's just fantastic that you're thinking about this stuff and going there and inviting these conversations. And uh, I, I'm trying to do the same. I have a podcast called the dad work podcast and it's men's work for dads, which is where the name comes from. Mm -hmm. um, our website is dad.work. So instead of like .com, it's just .work. We've got a podcast. We've got a course called conscious fatherhood. We're starting men's groups. Uh, we're launching a community mastermind for dads in the upcoming months. And uh, yeah, you find me on Instagram. If you're there, dadwork.kurt, that's Kurt with a C. And we got a Facebook group. Like we've got so much just because I want dads to be able to interact anywhere, anytime. Like my goal, uh, I had a podcast guest tell me this. He's like, my goal is if every dad could pull out their phone and have like eight guys in a men's group to like support them. I want that too, but I want it to be like, kind of like a gym membership for dads. Just like, mm. okay, you come to, come to us, you join your group. You got like men's group. You got like live calls. You got question and answers. You've got like a hundred guys in the community. So that's my overarching goal. And we're building that at dad.work. So if this is uh, you know, sounding good to you, I'd love to, to meet you and learn more about you. Awesome. That sounds great, Kurt. Thank you once again for coming on, bro. I appreciate you. Um, once I, I heard about what you're doing, I was like, man, that guy's like-minded. We need to get him on here. So yeah, man. Yeah. I feel the same way with you, man. Thank you for this. Right on. Thank you, Kurt. Take care, brother. You too, man.